copy. Ooh. A copy of God's Word, you can slip your hand up, and these two gentlemen will be glad to give you one. At least one of them's a gentleman, I'm not sure about the other one. We'll let you decide that for yourself. Where are my ladies? Where are they? Where did they go? Where did Carson and Aaron go? Oh, these ladies would like to make an announcement. Fantastic. I don't know how to follow that. That was uh, probably the best announcement we've ever had. Two o'clock today across the street, right? And they even have an example you could see in the lobby, correct? I tell you, you could just like walk around the auditorium with it. Well, we're, I guess not. All right. Uh, you can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, that great epistle of, the apostle, epistle of the Apostle Paul. I was reading a thing the other day about what children say about the Bible, and someone asked them who, what the epistles were in the Bible, and, you, and one of the kids said, well, that was the wife, they were the wives of the apostles. <laughs> if you think about it, that's, that's pretty cool. Be, that, that makes sense. They were the wives of the apostles. They were the epistles. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 3, we will kind of pick up where we were last week. I do want to make one announcement before we do that. I mentioned it last week. We've got a class that we do twice a year called Starting Point. Kind of introduces you and gives you the background of, of Christ Church, what we believe, where we came from, who we are. It walks through. It's about a six-week course, six to eight weeks, and Scott Helvey. Uh, teaches that, is going to teach that class this time for us, and Scott will be available over here maybe in the Cove, and I'll be in the lobby. If, you, if you're interested, you just can put it on the Connect card, but you can get it one of these black boxes. Just fill it out, right? I'm interested in starting point. Make sure your contact information is legible. What does the word legible mean? You can read it. Uh, there's so many times, I was, I was coaching a little boys basketball team, and we were playing at Singleton Community Center in Bartlett, and I had three total strangers come up to me after a couple of our games and said, I'd like my boy to play for you next year because you're mean. <laughs> you get on them. And, and I, said, I said, well, so, so I took out one. I had business cards, and so I said, well, let me write my cell number down. I'm going to give it to you. You contact me next year, and we'll kind of see where we are and who signs up and that kind of thing. And so I, <laughs> I handed one guy the card, and he just – really nice, and he's looking at it. I knew he didn't want to say it. And finally he said, before you leave, uh, Randy, is that a four? <laughs> and I said, no, that's a one. But that's going to make sure we got it right. So make sure. I gave you the wrong number because I don't really want you to call me. <laughs> you ever done that with somebody? Don't lie. You know you have. <laughs> You've had it done to you. <laughs> we won't get into that story, but some of us have had that uh, happen to us. That happened to me a lot in high school. I don't understand that. <laughs> and then I met Mary, and it was all good. Okay, maybe not. All right. Yes, it was. It was beautiful. 
I thought she wasn't here today. Why don't y'all tell me stuff? <laughs> what I want to do before we start, I, I know it has been, it is, and it's going to be a crazy time uh, in our country, crazy time in our personal lives, so much going on. Um, we, we were sharing this morning in my 930 class, we probably all know somebody that was in Nashville may have been impacted. I know Mary's niece, that school was destroyed. I, I want to say her kids went there, or, or fortunately they weren't in school. And just people impacted by that, uh, we're all, as a country, as a nation, as a world, we're terrified about COVID-19 and the coronavirus and what are we going to do, what can we do, what should we do. What are we going to do, even as a church, when they say, okay, you can no longer have gatherings of more than 10 people, you can't go. That means we can't have church. And some of you are going, about time. <laughs> I'll figure out a way to come into your homes. But, uh, but those are things that, that we may be confronted with. And as the church, it's important to us I've had three opportunities this week just to be able to share the gospel with someone because they were afraid. Just uh, one of them's um, uh, father had been diagnosed with cancer, and, and we just sat there and talked, and one of my neighbors just sat there and talked in the driveway about 20 minutes, and, and she was crying, and we, you know, I'm, uh, we've uh, been neighbors for a long time. And, but I got an opportunity again to love on her and pray with her and share Christ with her and the hope that, is in Jesus, and uh, with two millennials, uh, as I told my class this morning, I hate that word, but it's part of our lexicon now. There's a couple of them this week that I just, uh, we were just having some conversation about other things, and then it turned, uh, particularly like with what's happened with the stock market, and many of us who are stupid enough to have money in the stock market uh, have been impacted very negatively in the last week and a half, and when you, as you get older, that impact is much stronger because you know, I always say long-term, don't worry about it, it's all long-term. Well, I ain't got a long-term anymore. <laughs> I'm down to the short-term. And, and so it, 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 it always drives you back as a believer, and that's why I love what we're going to look at today, because the book of Ephesians was written to the church. It's written about the church. And as, as a believer, it drives you back to, what am I really trusting in? Where is my faith? Is it in the stock market? If it is, I'm stupid. Is my faith in the person of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. Okay. What about when you're thinking about your health? I went to two doctors this week, and, and you see how people, people are terrified. Imagine being a health worker. Like, you, maybe you've got to put your face right in. I had my teeth cleaned. You've got to put your face right in somebody's mouth and... You're right there and dealing with, there's a lot of things. And so what God says to us is, I need you to trust me and I need you to show other people that you trust me. So if you look at your handout, what I want to do before we get into this, I want you to notice what we're going to talk about today in Ephesians 3. We're talking about who's your daddy. We've been talking about just getting beginning to know our father better and knowing not just that we can trust him but who he really is what i want to look at today 
is what are his priorities as God, our Father, for us. So I want to pause for a moment before we do this, and I'm not going to pray, but I want you to, individually, in your hearts, just kind of pray for our nation, our world, like we have Chad Stewart, one of our elders, and 50-something people, I think, from Tipton Rosemark Academy are in Europe right now. In one way, that's kind of scary if you think about it. Because if Chad doesn't get back, we're in big trouble. But they're over there. They're in, I think they're in England right now. And then they're going to Spain and France. And originally, we're going to go to the Louvre. And guess what? It's been shut down. They're not going there. And we don't know what else is going to happen. So what I want to do is just take a moment and pause. I want you to pray in your hearts for our nation, our world, and that if nothing else, that it would drive people to say, what can I really trust in? Maybe this God thing is real because it's going to be an opportunity for us to share our faith with people. So let's just take a moment and pray, and then I'll pray to close us out, and we'll get into God's word. So would you pray? Father, we do thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that you are the God who is there, the God who is real, the God who is, as we're going to see, identifying with our very being, that you have desires for us, you have a plan for us, you want us to pursue you as we've been talking about. We want to pray for our nation, for our leaders in every arena, that first and foremost, They wouldn't politicize something as serious as this coronavirus or people's panicking, that they wouldn't make it a a political thing. They would make it, how can we make this gentle for our nation? How can we serve each other? How can we get through this together, whether it's locally or statewide or nationally and even around the world? We pray for leaders to be leaders. And we pray for leaders to be driven to you, seek you, for individuals that we come in contact with in so many different arenas, whether it's work or visiting the doctor or coaching a team, coming to church, being in gatherings, sporting events, wherever it might be, that we realize that we are salt and light in a culture that desperately needs light. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We thank you, Father, for being our dad. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, and as we begin to look at this today, our daddy's priorities for us as his children living every day. We realize as children of God, we've talked about this before, but as children of God, we have a position. We are in Christ, that positionally we are his children. Talked about this before, your children, whether you want to own them or not, are yours. I got three of them, and Mary has three of them, and they're ours. We love them, but 
Are we always enamored with every decision that they make? Trust me, we're not. Neither are you. If you've always been enamored with every decision your children will make, well, time's coming. Particularly if they ha- haven't hit teenage years yet. The time is coming when you're not going to be always enamored with their decisions and their choices and their friends and who they, they, they date. And I remember when our girls were growing up, and my, our son is our youngest child. I remember when Martha and, and Beth were growing up, just desperately praying, God, send them somebody that's heard about Jesus. Somebody that might be interested in being Christ-like. And some of the, some of the guys that, that uh, came around was terrifying. But God took care of that. He always does. You have to trust him. It doesn't mean you always like the decisions that they make. And you know what? Your daddy's not always pleased with decisions you make. I know he's not pleased with some of the ones I make. But here's the beauty of understanding who your heavenly father is. Despite the fact that he's not always enamored and pleased with decisions you make, he never stops being what? Your daddy. We were talking about the example this morning. We're studying Second Peter. And if ever there was an example of God loving somebody who had turned his back on him, it was Peter. And not only did Jesus reinstate him and restore him and say, I need to, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he led the church at Pentecost. He was the preacher. He led the church at Jerusalem until the gospel began to go to the Gentiles and it transitioned to Paul. We saw all that as we were studying Acts. But the message in that principle for us is you may deny Jesus Christ, as Peter did, but he will not deny you in the sense of being there, wanting to be involved in your life. Your daddy wants, as we've talked about, that, that deep, that personal relationship because he wants to use you to glorify his name. He wants people to know who he really is. So I want, just, I want us to start in Ephesians 3, verse 16. It's where we left off last week. Verse 16. That God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. As we left off last week, we were talking about we're not trusting in our riches, we're not trusting in our strength. Well, what we are trusting in is our God because he's omnipotent. He owns it all. He knows everything. So it's not my wisdom, my strength, my riches. It's his that I trust in. And and I love this verse, the end of verse 16. We're strengthened through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the inner man. In other words, the idea is this, where we left off, that God, the Holy Spirit, fell on Pentecost, as Jesus had promised, you will, be, you will receive power on high and then go and fulfill the Great Commission. And the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. The church age began. Last days began. We're still in the church age today. And we are the institution through whom God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. We are God's children, those who know Jesus Christ. And he says to us, go into all the world and make learner followers of me, Jesus said. That's my commission to you as my bride, as my body as my church, as the adopted family of God, that's who we are. So here's what happens when I'm born again. We mentioned this, I've mentioned it to you a couple times over the last few weeks. Next month, on April 19th, I will have been a Christian 50 years. 50 years. The Holy Spirit entered entered my life April 19th, 1970. I was 
saved, born again, entered into a relationship with God. He'd known about me for all eternity. And he created me anyway. He chose me. He saved me. He called me. And now he has me positioned and has for 50 years to be salt and light in a culture that desperately needs it. And the same is true for you. Whenever you were saved, or ever how long ago it was, God did not redeem you, adopt you into his family for you to ignore him. He adopted you into his family to be his son, to be his daughter. As Romans says, to be alive in the spirit. So the idea here in verse 16 is that Holy Spirit enters into our life and takes up residence. And he identifies with my human spirit. Notice verse 16 again, what's called the inner man. That means who I am outside the physical part of me, the immaterial part, the spiritual part, the part you can't see, the part that makes you unique. Even if you have an identical twin, your spirit is different. Each of us is an individual in so many ways, but spiritually, we're individuals. And that Holy Spirit, it identifies with my spirit that I'm his, that I belong to him. No matter what my age might be, in 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 4, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man, the flesh and blood, is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. From the moment we're born, physically enter planet Earth, we grow to a point and then diminishing returns to start to set in and we realize what? I'm falling apart. I'm getting old. I can't do what I used to do. My granddaughter's spending the weekend with us and we were playing some little game. We call it cheetah ball and she's a cheetah and, and so we've given each other names. And her name was uh, Carlita the Cheetah. I came up with that, I thought. So she says, what's your name going to be, Grandy? And I said, it'll be Mr. Lockley. She goes, no, nothing. I said, my name is going to be Boogie Get Down. <laughs> and I had no idea. She's six. So she's in a chair, and she jumps out of the chair and says, Boogie, get down, and she starts doing this. <laughs> and I said, what are they teaching you at that Farmington school? And she said, now you do it. And I said, no, Granny can't do that. Granny used to be able to, well, I never had any rhythm. I couldn't. So she had this ball we're playing with, and it rolls under the couch. And she says, it's down there. I said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's down there. Go find Grammy and let her crawl under there and get it. Because Grandy can't get down there. Well, I can get down there to get the ball. What can I not do? I can't get back up. Help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. I'm beginning to appreciate that commercial that I've laughed at all these years. We realize our outward man is perishing because we live in a sin-cursed world. Death is part of original sin. It's part of being human. It's part of living in 
this universe, this planet. And so we realize that that's happening. Like if I take my glasses off, I literally could not tell you one person in this room. I know there are bodies here. I can see fuzzy shapes. Now I can see people, names. Why? Because it's a flaw in my life. I've been nearsighted since I was a kid. And now if I take them off, I can't even read. So not only am I nearsighted, I'm also farsighted. I got it all. We perish. I love that verse, but here's what the rest of the verse says. Your outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. I may not physically be able or feel like doing what I need to do, but the Holy Spirit says, I'm here. I'm identifying with you. You're my child. Whether it's your prayer life, how significant that can be. You may not even be able to get out of bed one day. You can pray. You know, we talking about, we were joking last week, when did that guy pray the greatest prayer of his life? It's when he fell in the well. It could get your attention. There are days you may not feel like even going, getting up, going to work, doing anything. God says, pray without ceasing. Pray for the leaders of your world, your country, your state, your city, your county, your church. Pray for each other. Spend time just talking to your dad. What a great thing to do. Spend time having your dad talk to you by reading the Bible. That's what he's doing. So our outward man is perishing. And the point is this. We're dying daily physically, but our spiritual man is constantly being renewed and growing and maturing if we want to so that we can brag on our daddy, so that others can begin to see who he is and and know. So what are his priorities for us? Number one on your handout. Number one, his priority for you is spiritual depth. Spiritual depth. Look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Holy Spirit is there identifying. Here's what he wants. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ. Spiritual death. Paul's prayer. I'm praying for you. To have that strength that the Holy Spirit provides so Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. Not that you can get saved at some point in time, my case, 50 years ago, April 19th, 1970, and you're going to die at some point down the road, whenever that might be, and go to heaven. Yes, that's who we are in Christ. Positionally, that's who we are. And yes, that's that's our justification and our ultimate glorification is that we get to go home to paradise. Yes, those events are true. If I'm in Christ... Those are done deals. I'm saved. Heaven is mine. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm seated in the heavenlies. Those things are facts. What he's talking about here is that, look at verse 17 again, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right now, this moment, tomorrow, this afternoon, that as you live your life every day, single day that Christ would dwell in your hearts. The word dwell, the original language means he would make his home there. 
the Holy Spirit would be at home inside you. Does that mean he's always going to be happy with what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling? No. But he wants, the word means that he would dwell. Paul's prayer is that the Holy Spirit would feel a personal presence permanently in you where he is welcomed. Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China, said these words. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. In other words, it's not me, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, as Paul wrote. It's not my good looks and personality. Some of us are cursed with that, and I realize it. It's the power of God moving in and through me as I surrender to it, as I listen, as I mature, as I find myself interested in other people, even people who hate me. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Even people who hate me, that I look at them and say, what can I do to enhance their spiritual walk? If they're not Christians, I want to share the gospel with them. If they are Christians, how can I encourage them, even if they hate me? Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have enemies, pray for them. People who hate you, well, you love them. People who despitefully use you, you find a way to bless them. Why? Because it's not normal. It's not a human response. It's a Christ-like, godly response, giving you an opportunity through responding that way to glorify God because they see that you're not like them. It's a phrase that Paul uses in Romans. He talks about heaping coals of fire on someone's head. And the idea there is this. If you lived in the culture of the day, coals of fire were incredibly valuable. You couldn't do anything when you needed fire and coals of fire. It's like the idea was metaphorically is that if I give you coals of fire, I'm giving you the best I have and it will help you to eat, to clean, to do everything you need to do, give you coals of fire. But the other side of it was this. If, if I respond in that way to someone who spitefully uses me, hates me, my enemy, if I respond in a Christ-like loving way, like giving coals of fire, two things are happening. One, I'm giving you the very best I have. And two, it's now on you. It's on your head. How are you going to respond to Christ? There's so many examples of that in Scripture. But we were actually talking about one in my class this morning and where Jesus was asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? People. What were their responses? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then Jesus paused and said, wait a minute. Hey, Peter, who do you say that I am? Let's get rid of the noise. Let's get rid of the peer pressure. Let's get rid of all the other things that we're looking at and listening to. That's the ultimate question every human being has to answer. Who do you, Randy Lockley, say Jesus Christ is? Not what somebody else says. Not what somebody's told you. Not what your mama believes. Who do you? And that's why I say with 
in student ministry, got precious and special children. And when students hit middle school and high school, they need to be confronted and challenged. Do you believe this or are you just doing it because mom and daddy tell you to? Because when they hit 18, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be ripped apart when they hit that world. They have to know it's their personal faith. Again, we were talking about that this morning. Statistically, between 18 and 30, the vast majority of kids who grew up in church don't go. It's not important to them. Because it's not really theirs. It was their parents or their grandparents, but it's not really theirs. The Holy Spirit wants to dwell in your heart. Make his home there. Jesus said, in the upper room discourse, I will not leave you orphans. He was talking about sending the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to be with them and in them. He said, and then he said, I will not leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you, but it's going to be God, the Holy Spirit, that's going to come to you. He'll be with you and in you, his Holy Spirit identifying with you. So the idea is this, that the Holy Spirit can dwell in your hearts, your inner man, feeling like he's welcomed, feeling like he's loved, feeling like you want him there, you want... Listen, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a difficult thing many times for us as Christians, but we desperately need it. Book of Romans talks about the Holy Spirit groans for us so that we pray properly, so, like... I was watching one of those guys this weekend that I shouldn't watch and talking about praying is simply you making sure God knows what he needs to do. What? What? It's very common. It's called the word faith movement where you speak your reality and God has to do it. Ooh, that's so far from the truth. Prayer is me aligning my will with my daddy's will and then going and doing what daddy wants. And the Holy Spirit is at home in my heart and hopefully my my heart's mindset, all that I am in my inner being is, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I want our church to be what you want it to be. I want my country to be what it should be, what you have blessed it to be. Not what I want selfishly, Not me telling you what to do. I want to know what you want me to do so I can do it. We struggle with that. We do. That's why the Holy Spirit's here. To convict you, like when you get off track a little bit, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? Whoa, whoa. Come on, boy, get back over there where you're supposed to be. What are you doing? Listen. That's why studying the Bible is so important. So, again, you learn, not knowledge, for knowledge's sake. Knowledge so the Holy Spirit can mold you, shape you, make you what he wants you to be. The idea of dwelling is to feel at home. In the upper room discourse, again, Jesus said these words. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me or dwells in me, I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So what's his priority? 
spiritual depth, that that Holy Spirit dwells in you. We look at the next phrase, verse 17. Through, or the literal could be translated by, faith. What does that mean? What is faith? We've talked, we're not going to go into great length at this, with this. But faith very simply is this. It's defined with the original language. The word is P-I-S-T-I-S. It's the same, word, same root word for faith and believe. One's a noun, one's a verb. Here's the idea. Faith is, is I agree to a set of facts are true. Jesus Christ, we'll use this as an example. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. He died on the cross. He, wrote, he, he, he died, he buried, he rose again to conquer sin and death. He's the Savior of the world. He can forgive sins. I agree that that's true. That's the first part of faith. Secondly, I realize and I agree that it's true for me, that it's personal. And third, I surrender to it. Faith is trusting. It's a channel of trust. Again, one's a noun, one's a verb, faith, believe. So it, the idea is this, that it dwell in your hearts through, by your faith, it literally means, in the original language beyond what I just told you, an active reliance on God's word, what he has promised. You trust it. You trust it. And the result is always in the Bible. You go read it for yourself. Where true faith is seen, it's always followed by obedience. Obedience. Again, I'm aligning my will with the fathers. I'm trusting him. He's God. I'm not. And then I want to go out and do what he wants me to do. Faith is trusting God and then obeying God. Not perfection. You'll never reach that standard. But that's your goal. I want to be like Christ. I'm never going to be satisfied with less than that. Yes, I'll be frustrated at times. And, and God knows that. The Holy Spirit knows that. And you just come back and say, like uh, David wrote in Psalm 51 after the mess with Bathsheba and all that happened, the murder of Uriah. He writes, Lord, Father, against you, you only have I sinned. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That, Daddy, I'm sorry. I want to be close again. That's literally what he's saying in Psalm 51. Daddy, I'm sorry. I want to be close again. By the way, God is immutable, one of the attributes we shall be looking at. God is immutable. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if the joy of my salvation has left, whose fault is it? It's mine. Who changed? Me. He's there. Not going anywhere. He's not changing. So that it would, through your faith, the active reliance, Jesus, I know you're not going to believe this, but in the upper room discourse, said these words. By the way, if you've never read the upper room discourse, it's pretty cool. John 13 through 17. I read it all the time just to read it. So powerful. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I and my Father will love him. We will come to him and make our abode with him. What an amazing promise. Love me, obey me, and me and Daddy will live with you. 
He'd already promised the Holy Spirit. We're going to make our home with you. Look at verse 13 for just a moment. I want you to back up for just a moment. Verse 13. Therefore, Paul says, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. You know when you lose heart as a Christian? In this context and throughout Scripture and probably in your own life, it's personal testimony. I know it is for me. You know when you lose heart as a Christian? It's when you stop trusting your dad and start relying on what? Yourself. Because you know what? Yourself's going to let yourself down at some point because you're not perfect. Trust me, the theme of the entire Bible is Habakkuk 2.4. I want you to memorize this for the rest of your life. You've got this one verse memorized. This one in John 11.35. What's that one? Jesus wept. Thank you. Make it easy on you. Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. You trust God, channel of trust in the one who is trustworthy, and then you go out and you live in a way that honors him so people can see him. See God, Christ in you as you live it out by your faith. Back to verse 17. Through, through faith in your hearts or through your hearts. Now what's the idea here? Heart is not the physical muscle that's pumping in your chest, even though that's one aspect of it. The idea here with hearts is your thoughts, your affections, your emotions. That the Holy Spirit lives in my being. He owns my house. He's comfortable in my house. He can take his shoes off and relax, and I'm not, I'm not blaspheming. I want you to see the metaphor. That the Holy Spirit feels comfortable, loved, and at home inside you. Your thoughts. Jesus said every sin you commit, you commit it with your hands and with your eyes, even with your thoughts. But it begins where? Every sin begins where? In the heart. In the heart. I make a choice to watch pornography. And if you don't think that's an issue in the church in America, you ain't paying attention. Especially with young men. I have dealt with some young men, particularly when I was at Bartlett. Young men in their 30s. Young to me, young men in their 30s who lost their whole families because they got so addicted to pornography. It skews everything in your mindset about the opposite sex. Satan loves that. If I can tear a family up, great. I make a choice to do that. It begins where? Right here. And that's just one example. There's so many examples. Here's what he's saying. In your hearts, in your thoughts, set your mind on things above where Christ is, Colossians. Romans 12, 1, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Bodies means everything that is you, body, soul, spirit, and let your mind be not conformed, but transformed. By the renewing of your mind from within. Presence of the Holy Spirit. Focusing on the word of God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Great preacher from the 1800s. 
we should pant after love to Christ of a most abiding character, not a love that flames up and then dies out into the darkness of a few embers, but a constant flame fed by sacred fuel like the fire upon the altar which never went out. Jesus cannot be in your heart's love except you have a firm hold of him by your heart's faith. Therefore, pray that you may always trust Christ in order that you may always love him. Through your hearts, through faith. I want to read you a prayer by a guy named Robert Munger. It's called, My Heart, Christ's Home. I think this should be the prayer of all of us. Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around and introduce you to the various features of the home so that you may be more comfortable and that we may have fuller fellowship together. Amen. Now back to verse 17. And we'll wrap this up for today. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Look at verse 18. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's the context of Paul's prayer. I want you rooted and grounded in love. Once you're rooted and grounded in love, then you'll be able to comprehend. The idea, the focus here is not to be satisfied with a surface relationship. Notice the two words that he uses, the two metaphorical pictures here, rooted and grounded in love. He uses one architectural metaphor and one farming metaphor, rooted and grounded in love. That your foundation is solid, it's not going anywhere because it's love. And that you've settled, that you've planted roots that are deep and so that you can grow, so that it can bear fruit, that it's not going to be washed away with the next water that comes down the road. It's rooted, it's solid, it's a building that will stand Jesus used the example of the parables, you can build it on sand, what's going to happen to it? It's not going to stand. When the difficult times come, it's not going to stand. You've got to build it on something that is solid. So when it's buffeted, it will make it, it will survive. As a believer, as believers, you will face difficulty. The Bible makes it very clear. If you choose to live for Christ, you'll be persecuted. You, you will face difficulty. And some of it is not persecution as much as it is just living in a world that's cursed by sin. Bad things happen to good people. I've told of three different people this week that I know and care about been diagnosed with cancer. It just happens to good people. And so when it does happen, are my roots going to stand up? Is my building going to stand? If, is my faith in what I can accomplish and I'm just going through the motions 
or do I really trust my dad? Do I trust him enough to go out and honor him by the way I live my life? That's his priority for us. Next week we'll wrap this up. Let's pray. Father, as we pause now to close out our time together, again, I keep coming back to in my heart that we live in a culture that is so mixed up, confused, and now beginning to be terrified. Lord, my prayer is maybe you'll even use that terror to get our attention and what's really important, that we need desperately you. I pray you'd use us as individual Christians, as your sons and your daughters, to go out and say, let me introduce you to my daddy and let, let you understand what it really means to be loved. You use us, Father, that our hearts would be homes that the Holy Spirit really loves being in. Not perfect, but a home where he's welcome. I pray that for me and each of us who are who's seated here, who's born again, that we would surrender and be excited about having the Holy Spirit indwell us. We ask for wisdom. We know we have the strength the Holy Spirit is there that we would surrender to it, make decisions that honor you, and you use us. So, Lord, as we close out our time together today, I pray for conviction where needed. For somebody here who's not a Christian, that this would be their moment to say to Jesus, I do believe that's true. And I do believe it's for me and I want you to come live in my heart. Save me. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.